It's Monday, December 16th, 2019, 83 days into the impeachment saga. And this is Impeachment Today. Good morning, I'm Hayes Brown, reporter and editor at BuzzFeed News. Well, this is it. This is the week. The time is now. The House is set to vote in the next few days on two articles of impeachment against the president. As the House prepares to make history, we're launching our own History Week here at Impeachment Today. First up, we're talking to Yale history professor and author Joanne Freeman about just what the heck the framers of the Constitution were thinking when they wrote in impeachment. But before we get to all that, let's catch up on what happened over the weekend. It took just 10 minutes for the House Judiciary Committee to make history on Friday morning. After a marathon of debate the night before, the committee, as expected, voted to approve two articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump. The party line vote means that the full House will be voting on them later this week, likely Wednesday. The House GOP is looking to make that vote as close as possible. They're reportedly targeting moderate Democrats from Trump-supporting districts to see if they can peel a few away from the final yay count. But Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi can afford to lose up to 17 Democrats and still pass the articles, and nowhere near that number are reported to be wavering. Many of those same moderates have been pushing for Representative Justin Amash to be part of the prosecution against Trump. He's a Michigan independent who left the Republican Party back in July and has been a really vocal supporter of impeachment. But there's a lot of Democrats who want to be part of the team presenting the case against Trump in the Senate trial, so Amash may be on the back burner. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer tried to kickstart talks on what that trial might look like on Sunday night. He released a letter laying out Democrat priorities for the procedures, which would be based off of Clinton's trial and include witnesses. Democrats would like at least four witnesses called, including Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and former National Security Advisor John Bolton. Both were called to appear in the House's hearings but did not show up. Now, Schumer's suggestion being adopted is still unlikely, as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said last week he was working with the White House to figure out the trial's format. But the decision does come down to the Senate, where McConnell and Schumer will either work out a deal or a majority of votes will determine how things work. And with only 53 Republicans in the Senate, McConnell's going to have to make sure he doesn't have any defections. Meanwhile, Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani is still just Giuliani-ing all over the place, having just returned from Ukraine again. Giuliani said in an interview with the Wall Street Journal that Trump called him as soon as he landed from his latest adventure. When the president asked, what did you get? Giuliani responded, more than you can imagine. Which, sure, Jan. Giuliani promised in a series of tweets on Sunday that after his meetings overseas, he was ready to unleash a wave of documents that would implicate the Obama administration in bribery, extortion, and, you know, other bad things in its dealings with Ukraine. But uh, documents he's produced earlier in the saga have not exactly been convincing. That includes a series of discredited interviews and an affidavit from a crooked Ukrainian prosecutor with a grudge against Biden. So I'm not bracing for any major revelations. That doesn't mean, though, that it won't make it even harder for some people to sort through what's real and what isn't when it comes to impeachment. House Democrats argued on Sunday that Giuliani's activities are actually a really good reason why impeachment needs to happen now, because the alleged crimes and election interference are still happening. But Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Lindsey Graham actually invited Giuliani to come present his findings in a hearing, which is really testing my biggest lesson from 2016. Something can both be comedy gold and a threat to our democracy and sense of reality. And now, to make sense of it all, we have today's reading from our nexometer. Well, I'm not a crook. On our scale, zero, normal day, normal White House. Ten, Richard Nixon resigns, flies off in a helicopter. 
This morning, we're steady at a 7.7. Polls are really wonky out there right now, with both no change in the overall number of people who think Trump should be impeached and removed. But that number is still really high for any president. So as we finally get the House teed up to pass articles of impeachment against Trump, we'll see if that will finally shift. Okay, after the break, we talked to Professor Joanne Freeman about why the framers decided that the best method of getting rid of a president is this mess. Be right back. SheFit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free. Until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Lethal listeners. Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission, clearing my Aunt Beth's name and making sure justice was finally served. But I hadn't counted on a rash of new murders tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger. Though it wasn't all bad. I'm gonna be real with you, Tig. I like you. But now, all signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm gonna win. I'm Tig Torres, and this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on season one of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in season two, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's time for a new segment this week, one we're calling What a Fucking Time. All week, we're going to be taking a look back over the past 200-odd years to see what lessons we can draw for the current impeachment to do. First up, we're going to be going all the way back to try to get a sense of how the framers of the Constitution thought about impeachment. I am thrilled to have Joanne Freeman in the studio to do that with us today. She's a professor of history and American studies at Yale, an expert on early U.S. politics, the author of Field of Blood, a look at the violence inside Congress ahead of the Civil War, and co-host of the podcast Backstory. Joanne, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we're jumping back. We're in Philadelphia, 1787. The white guys who are fixing the Articles of Confederation are hard at work. Where does the idea of impeachment enter the picture? So it actually enters the picture 
pretty much smack in the middle of the Constitutional Convention. Mm -hmm. And there's a really logical reason for that, right? We're giving in the Constitution. They're deciding about things like checks and balances. Mm -hmm. They're thinking, okay, well, balance power, three branches. Mm -hmm. They're worried a lot about arbitrary power. So that's the big balance of the Constitution is who has power. So now they have the executive branch, and it appears to give a lot of power to one guy. Right. Definitely would have been a guy at that time. (laughs) So the question is— what do we do? Mm-hmm. How do we rein him in? And so impeachment became the discussion. It mm-hmm. wasn't invented here. It was a British custom. You can't really impeach a king. Right. But you could impeach <laughs> royal officials of various kinds. Right. The king's, you know, magistrate in the shire of whatever. You could impeach him, but you could not remove a king except by execution in well, one and, case or another. And Benjamin Franklin brought that up. Right. <laughs> Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin is, you know, if we don't have something like impeachment, How do you remove a leader who is really corrupt and harming the nation in some way? Assassination appears to be what other nations do. (laughs) So we would really like to avoid that. And this is a much better alternative. So was there anyone during this debate who was like, now, this is just a dumb idea or to mirror, you know, current Republican arguments. uh, We have elections. Duh. Why do we need this? There actually was someone who said, why don't we just wait for an election? And there was someone else who said, this makes no sense because it'll make the president bound to the legislative branch. It'll make Congress more important somehow than Mm. the president. But the answer to both of those questions, and I think it's James Madison had a lot to say, not surprisingly. (laughs) He said, no, what do we do if there's a president who is endangering national security, who is putting himself above the nation, who is a danger? You can't say, okay, we're just going to wait for the next election. You actually need some kind of process that you can resort to. Mm -hmm. And equally important, the president needs to know that that process exists. Right. Because as as someone said at the convention, a good president— won't care that it's there. A bad president will probably really think about the fact that impeachment is there. So it's partly like a, like breaks. Right. Partly like a uh, warning mechanism. Like, hey, we've got this gun. Don't make us pull this trigger. But did they have to make the reasons to impeach a president so vague? High crimes and Mr. What's now (laughs) is what a lot of people I feel like are feeling as Congress is debating this. Right. And, And part of this has to do with the joys of constitution making, right? They, they were putting a process into motion. They didn't know how long it would go on, but it mm-hmm. has to go on into the unforeseeable future. So on the one hand, it needs to be concrete enough to do what it needs to do, but it can't be so concrete that it's going to get in the way of whatever happens down the road. Right. If you think about it, the constitution is really short for what it does, right? Right. So many other constitutions around the world are like 50 pages yeah. long, 29,000 clauses. This is like an outline of a government. Mm-hmm. So when it came to impeachment, bribery and treason were things that would have been also impeachable in England. Mm-hmm. Initially, they added to that maladministration. Right. Just, oh, you're really bad at this, aren't you? Get well, out of here. That, that's exactly. They thought, well, that's kind of mighty big. Yeah. So that anyone could say, I don't like the way you're administering the government. Impeach you. So that, that was too broad. Mm-hmm. So they came up with high crimes and misdemeanors, and it's important, mm-hmm. the whole phrase, because they wanted to be able to address crimes and violations and dangerous actions that didn't fit the precise definition of right. bribery and treason, but that were serious enough to merit impeachment. So they deliberately left this sort of wiggle room and trusted people in the future to... (laughs) 
Yeah, they also <laughs> trusted the people in the future to figure out the process, too, which is what's yeah. really, like, wild to me right now. They just said, uh, a Congress will figure this out eventually, how to actually do it. We'll say the House has the power to impeach. The Senate will have a trial. Right. Beyond that, good luck. And that's one of the crazy things about a moment like this is we take the Constitution, we take the government for granted. Mm-hmm. Go, oh, yeah, whatever. It's been around forever. In a moment like this, you realize, oh, we actually don't know how to do everything. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't Uh, done this before, and we're kind of inventing part of it, and that's not the way we normally think about the government. So as a historian, it's really interesting. As an American, it's kind of freak-out potential. Absolutely. Okay, Joanne, you're considered one of the leading experts on Alexander Hamilton. In the hit Broadway show, there's this bit about his time at the convention. The Constitutional Convention. I was chosen for the Constitutional Convention. There is a New York Junior Delegate. Now what I'm gonna say may sound indelicate. Uh. He goes and proposes his own form of government. What? His own plan for a new form of government. What? Talks for six hours. The convention is listless. Right, young man. Yo, who the F is this? Okay, so those bars kind of <laughs> gloss over the fact that his plan was all about basically setting up a president for life. So... How did he come around from that to supporting impeachment so strongly in the Federalist Papers? Right. And actually, although the two halves of that question don't seem to fit, one answers the other. I mean, so he actually did stand up and present his own plan of government and supposedly talked for six hours. Mm -hmm. A lot of other people did. So Mm -hmm. the show makes it seem like there's just one guy. (laughs) There are several. But he really, throughout his political career, really wanted a powerful executive. Right. But for that very reason— Because this executive, whatever he was, was not a king. Right. Something like impeachment was actually important. Mm. There has to be a way to remove that person from power or at least to hold them accountable, Mm -hmm. right? That's the big part of a democratic government is the government is accountable to us. Right. So after the Constitution is ratified, though, it takes a long time before we get the first impeachment, Andrew Johnson, almost 100 years later. Why do you think it took so long, especially with the fact that we've now had like three in the span of like 40 years? (laughs) Well, you know, it was supposed to be a sort of last-ditch resort Mm -hmm. to a problematic president. Now, in the early years of the republic, people thought a million times before doing something extreme because they thought, oh, if we do some stupid thing, the government's going to fall apart. Right. So before we do something like that, let's try everything else. Mm -hmm. I think over time, people could assume that, okay, well, if we have to do this, it's not going to absolutely destroy the government, particularly after a civil war. Right. And the founders, when they created it, wanted it to be hard to do. Right. Right. They wanted people to have to debate it. They wanted it to be hard to actually remove a president, which is why two-thirds of the Senate has to agree. Right. They didn't want it to be an easy thing. And so I think it's for good reason it doesn't get used very often. But that gets into my final big question here. So do you think they made a mistake in how they put the impeachment clause together? Because the Senate so far is 0 for 2 on removal, and it seems like we're headed towards 0 for 3. Yeah, that's hard to answer. When you read the Federalist essays and you read what Hamilton wrote, you know, Hamilton says, and this has been quoted so much on TV, and Mm -hmm. I have to say as a historian, Hamilton being quoted all day on C-SPAN is kind of mind-blowing. But Hamilton does say, okay, this is going to be really partisan. It's going to divide the nation. People are quoting it now to suggest, and for that reason, Mm -hmm. we shouldn't do it. Right. He thought— Well, okay, for that reason, it won't be one body in Congress that'll deal with it. It'll be actually both houses of Congress. And Congress, which people aren't saying when they talk about this, Congress is us. Congress is the American people. So, For better or for worse, yes. (laughs) Precisely. In in all ways. So Congress will be the lever. And the Senate, he assumed, and he writes this, is going to be a 
senior, dignified, and balanced body that would be able to think mm-hmm. on a higher level. Right. Six years and it's forever. <laughs> Who even can live beyond like 12 years, two terms in the Senate? They'll be so chill about this. But what part of the thing to remember is that at the time, senators weren't directly elected. Mm, true. And so I think to Hamilton and to many others, it was like, oh, well, these are being put in office by others, you know, so they will be not quite as democratic as, like, the people in the House. They'll be a better sort of man than somehow, right. Uh, <laughs> you are rolling roll, your eyes, absolutely. yes. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, the better angels of our nature, etc. <laughs> Thanks, Alex, yeah. for that one. All right, before we let you go, I have a ask for you, for our listeners out there, what's one thing that you think that they should read to get a better sense of where we are in the impeachment process and how the founders thought about it? Okay, I'm going to offer you, like, the ultimate geeky oh, no. answer. I know what you're going to say. Go for it. You don't know what oh. I'm going to say. You think I'm going to say the Federalist. I did think that. Okay, what do you got? I am not <laughs> going to say the Federalist. Well, you can actually get this online. Mm-hmm. There's a website, I think it's a century of lawmaking, that the Library of Congress put online. And they have all of the proceedings of the Constitutional Convention there. You can go to that website and you can do what I did today before I came here, <laughs> which is search on impeachment and up will come the debate like a script. Oh, that's Awesome. That's where I would send people. That's a great tip. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for being here. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, friends, it's been a minute, but we are once again returning to Question Time, where we answer questions sent in by you, our audience. First up, we got this voice memo question from a listener named Caleb. Hey, Hayes. Quick question about impeachment. Um, assuming the Senate acquits Trump, can the House impeach him a second time if evidence comes up? And if so, what's stopping them from doing that? That's an excellent question, Caleb, especially since it is starting to look more and more inevitable that the Senate will acquit the president no matter what happens in the trial. Looking at you, Mitch McConnell. The legal answer is there's nothing technically stopping the House from bringing additional articles of impeachment against the president at a later date. There's no, like, double jeopardy or anything that they have to worry about. But the important issue is whether the House leadership would think it'd be a good idea politically to do so. Because if they failed once, do you really think that the American people will be really raring to go for a second time? TBD. But also, who the fuck knows what else might come up in the remaining year of the president's first term? Maybe there will be something even more cuckoo bananas than this whole Ukraine drama. It is truly a special time to be alive. Okay, moving on. We have a question here that was emailed to us from Chris in Canada. What is stopping Trump's top aides from showing up to testifying and just pleading the fifth? Isn't this their right? This is absolutely their right under the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. They can show up, and if they feel like their answer will be self-incriminating, they can plead the Fifth and say, no, thank you. I do not want to answer that. But here's the thing. Nobody is showing up because they're acting under something that they're claiming called executive immunity, which says that the president's top staffers just don't have to answer to Congress, which is a wild legal theory that has not been held up by the courts. Normally, someone would show up, and if there's a question they don't like, they would plead the fifth or say that it falls under executive privilege, that the answer would, you know, endanger the president's ability to actually run national security and, you know, lead the country. But that's not what's happening here. Instead, they're just saying no. And that's why Congress is pushing forward an article of impeachment about obstructing Congress in the impeachment process. Lastly, we got a pretty specific government process question from Twitter user at JKLava. 
is there any possibility the Senate will do a silent vote so people can vote with their conscience, or is it going to be that I bullshit so anyone who votes to remove Trump is assured to be crucified publicly? So yeah, there has been the idea floated of, you know, a secret ballot or a closed-door vote, but that's just not going to happen. Because while some, you know, Republicans who have already left office have claimed that in such an event, Trump would definitely be removed, doing so would just tee up conspiracy theories that the vote was somehow rigged. And so, it's really important for something as big as impeachment for the senators to be on the record, to have their names next to their vote, to completely black out any chance of someone saying, like, uh, you guys made this up, Trump should still be in office. Thanks so much, everyone, for these great questions. And as we press on with our historical look back, we want to know, is there anything about the impeachment process itself that still has you going, wait, what? Send us all your why is impeachment like this questions, and we'll get to the bottom of it. Just open up the voice memo app on your phone, record your question, and then email it to impeachment at buzzfeed.com. Or just send me a direct message on Twitter. I'm at Hayes Brown, and my DMs are always open. Okay, that's it for today. Tomorrow, we'll keep History Week going with author and historian Brenda Wineapple, here to give us the tea on America's first impeachment, the failed attempt to take down President Andrew Johnson. And as we get closer to the holidays, a reminder that there's some pretty neat Impeachment Today merch up for sale. You can snag that at a discount if you head over to shop.buzzfeednews.com. Because nothing says I listen to podcasts like a tote bag with a logo on it. Be sure to subscribe to Impeachment Today on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go to hear my voice in the ether. And uh, maybe leave a rating and a review. Also, tell your friends about the show as we all figure this out together. They say, if you love something, set it free. At LifeLock, we say, that's bull hockey. All that saving up and paying off debt just for some identity thief to set it free? Crazy talk. It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year at LifeLock.com aware. Identity theft protection starts here. Hi, everybody. I'm Rachel Bonetta, and I have my very own podcast called Benched with Bonetta. You kidding me? Woo! I'm just here so I won't get fined. Every week, I'm going to be talking about all the things I find fascinating about the NFL, and I'm doing something that has never been done before. I'm opening my DMs. DMs now open. <laughs> Listen every Tuesday and join me on the bench. Subscribe now and listen to the Benched with Bonetta podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network.